Welcome to the FHE Podcast, hosted by Amy and Maddie. We are the Fruity Horny Exmos. Trigger warning for those listening to this episode. We are talking about grooming, child abuse, sexual abuse, sexual assault, sexual assault by clergy. So if this is something that is going to cause you more mental distress, um, if this is something that would trigger you, then please feel free to skip this episode. But we did feel like this was an important topic to discuss on our podcast. So we hope that you'll stick around if you are able to. Welcome back to the FHE podcast, everyone. We're so happy that you're here. Um, If you haven't seen our social media, which is two things, it's Twitter and Instagram, but mostly (laughs) Instagram, at FHE podcast, then you have not seen that we're going to switch to an every other week format for our episodes because we 100% self-produce this <laughs> and we don't want to burn out and then leave everyone hanging for like months when we're like, I need a break. So yeah, we're hoping it's a that, quick turnaround. Yeah, we're hoping it'll <laughs> mitigate the, the burnout. So yeah, anyway, just um, if you want more updates about episodes that come out, like I said, follow us on Instagram at FHE podcast. Yes. <laughs> anyway, well, anything new, Mads? um no our wedding's coming up our wedding is coming up very quickly very quickly no we are excited just you know it's stressful so yeah definitely stressful so you know (laughs) when you're when you're not mormon it's a lot more stressful Mm -hmm. i feel like mormons stress themselves out for no reason yeah i mean because they get married really quick in general yeah i guess that's true anyway but that's pretty much what's new here I don't think there's anything new. Yeah, there's not. Anyway, well, today we are so happy to have Maddie leading the discussion. (laughs) It's been a while since I have led. Well, it's been a while since we've been consistent. So (laughs) that's exactly that's really why. Yeah. So I'm going to throw it over to you to introduce the topic and get (laughs) us going. Okay. Okay. Get us going. Get us going, Maddie. Ew, okay. Sorry. Get us going. Okay. God. Okay, so today we're talking about drag, which I don't think we've ever really talked about this. Not really. Um, so I'm excited about this episode. Um, we're gonna talk a little bit about just like what's going on in the world, specifically our country, with drag and just, you know, the false claims and accusations that people are making about drag. So we're gonna talk about what is drag? What, yeah, what, you know what? <laughs> um, I don't know what drag is. And then, and then, yeah, we're gonna talk about some statistics and just a couple, you know, articles. And then we're going to focus on drag within the church. So I'm excited for that okay. that section. So that's why it's at the end because uh, it's exciting. Okay, well, I'm excited. Okay, so first, this article analysis. Political rhetoric, false claims, obscure the history of drag performance. And this was written in October of 2022. So, what is drag? According to this article, drag is the art of dressing and acting exaggeratedly (laughs) as another gender, usually for entertainment, 
such as comedy, singing, dancing, lip syncing, or all of the above. Drag may trace its roots to the age of William Shakespeare when female roles were performed by men because mm. that's just how it was done well, back because then. women weren't allowed to do it. Yeah. <laughs> so, and the origin of the term drag is debated, but one possibility is that it was coined after someone noticed the dresses or petticoats that male actors wore on stage would drag along the floor. Mm. So then like a drag queen. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But then another possible origin is that notes in scripts would use drag to indicate that the actor should, quote, dress as a girl. So it was just like a little acronym in the script. Oh. Um, And they could also, drag performances could also be seen on the vaudeville circuit and during the Harlem Renaissance. Uh, They became a mainstay at gay bars throughout the 20th century and remain that way. Hell yeah. As they should. Yes. And then RuPaul's Drag Race allowed drag to explode in popularity and into the mainstream. So that was a big deal. Next question is, is drag sexual? (laughs) Let's see. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So many drag opponents cite nudity in their objections. Um, Every performer makes a different choice, but Drag queens often wear more, not less, clothing than you'd see on a typical American woman of the 21st century. So true. Um, And their costumes are usually extravagant, sometimes floor-length gowns. They might have false breasts, wear sheer costumes, and use makeup or other means to show cleavage and other exaggerated feminine Traits. Yeah, Yeah. traits. But again, like opponents of drag see sexual deviance in the cross-dressing aspect, which is just not true. And drag doesn't usually involve nudity or stripping, although it can. That's like more common in burlesque shows, uh, which is a separate form of entertainment. Explicitly sexual and profane language is common in performances meant for adult audiences. Yeah. I mean, As it should. Yeah, that's... I've I've only ever caught like the tail end of a drag burlesque show mm-hmm. and it was at a 21 and older location yeah so it's i've never ever seen anything explicit or inappropriate yeah done in like a general show that anyone could come to mm-hmm. and especially if there's children there like i've never not once and we've been to quite <laughs> a few drag shows we have yeah i've never seen anything inappropriate they're just performers. For yeah, no, specifically. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, and like some some things might be raunchy, but again, those are the ones specifically meant for adult audiences. Yeah. Next question is, should children see or dress in drag? Let's see. It's up to parents and guardians to decide that, just as they decide whether their children should be exposed to or participate in certain, you know, movies, whatever, shows. Adults can decide that for their kids. So performances in nightclubs and brunches that are meant for adults are obviously not suitable for children. So don't bring your kids there. Yeah, and they've, you would. And they've never claimed that they've been suit- suitable for children. Like, no. I, I don't see any adult person who participates in drag to ever be like, you know what, this this like burlesque show that's at like 10 <laughs> p.m., yeah. invite your kids. Mm-hmm. No one's ever said that. Yeah, no. But there are other events like drag story hours that are tailored for children and have milder language and dress as well. So drag performance and the venues that book them generally either don't allow children if a performance has risque content or require that an adult is there with the kids. Basically how R-rated movies are handled at theaters. Yeah. 
It's the same. So yeah, drag story hours are where performers read to children in libraries. And that's become really popular in recent years. Um, The events use a captivating character to get the kids' attention. You know, like Elsa from Frozen, that kind of thing. Yeah. The goal is to get kids interested in reading. Yeah, it's not about, hey, kids, come here and let me show you how to, like, tuck and, Mm -hmm. like, contour your chest to be showing fake cleavage for drag purposes. Yeah. Like, no. Yeah. And if people genuinely ever think anything like that, they're literally the dumbest people I've ever known. Mm-hmm. Because I'm like, drag queens are the sweetest. Yeah, I love drag queens. You do. They're the best. I love them. So, yeah, let's talk about the threats and claims of grooming. <laughs> yeah. So, opponents of drag story hours and other drag events often claim that they are grooming children, implying attempts to sexually abuse them or somehow influence their sexual orientation or gender identity. So the term grooming in a sexual sense describes how child molesters entrap and abuse their victims. It's used by opponents of drag as well as protesters in other realms of just LGBTQ plus opposition seeks to falsely equate it with pedophilia and other forms of child abuse, uh, which is false. Yes. Well, and I mean, just in other things that I feel like we've read in the past or um, just things that we've experienced learning about LGBTQ plus history. For a very long time, homosexuality was equated almost directly with pedophilia. Mm-hmm. That it was it was um, a byproduct. Yeah. Of yeah, it. that it like goes hand in hand. Which is so incredibly false and demeaning. Yeah. And Be- offensive. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And religion has a big part to play in this. Like they... They cite the devil is at work. and The devil's going to work. <laughs> yeah. And they, and people who oppose drag, um, cast themselves as saviors of children and try to frame anyone who disagrees as taking the side of child abusers, which, okay. Anyway, so these are just, you know, there's no it's evidence. Bullshit. Yeah. And, and we'll talk about this in a couple other articles, but the threats are probably an attempt to scare parents into not taking their kids to such events. Last thing I'll say on this article is despite some opponents claims drag cannot turn quote (laughs) a child gay or transgender. Although it's playful use of gender may be reassuring to kids who are already questioning their identity. So yeah, it's entertainment. Yeah. Purely. And it's just like an introduction to, a, a facet of the LGBTQ plus community. Yeah. There's, it's not the entirety of it. And it's kind of similar to, I guess, in my head, if, if a child were to see a drag queen, it, it gives the parents an opportunity to talk more about the community. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the time, children don't have the verbiage or the understanding that they might already feel inside. Yeah. I mean, I know so many people, even just like one of my best friends told me that his girlfriend's kid, like, is clearly already trans. <laughs> and he's like four. Yeah. Wants to be a girl. Want, like, all these things. Mm-hmm. And if anything, yeah, it would just be like, oh, this is okay. Mm-hmm. But again, religion doesn't want anyone to think it's okay because homosexuality isn't okay. 
And I mean, it's not impossible for someone who's straight to participate in drag, Mm -hmm. but like that's so crazy to them that they can't even, it has to be gay and gay is wrong. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I, I agree. It's, yeah, it's just gender affirming Mm -hmm. for people who don't lie inside the gender binary. Yeah. Next article, fear versus fact. And this is specifically in Humboldt County in Illinois, I think. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds right. But yeah, so children are sexually abused in Humboldt at alarming rates, but not at drag shows or by LGBTQ plus groups. Huh. So let's see. Who does that? Yeah, let's see. Let's talk about what grooming is. (laughs) Let's talk about grooming. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to try to say something and it didn't work, so never mind. Okay, well... Let's ignore it. Okay, so according to this article, grooming can take place online and through social media. Um, And this is coming from law enforcement officers. But most commonly occurs in person and in private over time. Techniques include gifting, including jewelry, clothing, and other material items, usually of little monetary value, social media contact, letters or cards involving expressions of love and admiration. Seemingly appropriate physical contact that leads to inappropriate and abusive physical contact or behavior. And it takes many forms, but it can really be present as almost any expression of affection. Mm -hmm. Um, Grooming methods are typically a time-consuming process designed to build a relationship of trust and ultimately secrecy. Um, And this is from the Humboldt County District Attorney, Stacey And she says, the grooming I've seen doesn't necessarily just focus on the targeted child, but also whoever is the caregiver and protector as well. This sometimes uh, is done by doing the caregiver favors, such as helping out with household responsibilities, watching the kids while the single parent is at work, for example. So that's that's a little bit about grooming. Um, Also, just to like interject here. Yeah. I'm on true crime TikTok. Oh, nice. Um, and I get a lot of like little snippets of like documentaries and things like that that come up on my For You page. And um, the other day I saw one where they were talking to this woman who had abused over 200 plus children. And she and they were like, we just want to have like a really candid conversation. And she she specifically said that she would target single parents. Mm hmm that were already vulnerable and overworked and would overlook things because they were just trying to get through the day. So she would specifically target them so that she would be alone with the children so she could abuse them. Yikes. Yeah. So that is true. Yeah. Also, did did you say what, where the term grooming came from or are we going to get into that? Um, no, actually, I don't think that is covered in these articles, but that could be something interesting to look up. I was like, wait, can I just look it up really quick? Yeah. Okay. This says, according to an ex-FBI agent named Ken Lanning, the term grooming originated in the 1980s during a series of investigations into sex crimes against children in the U.S. So... For some reason, it's kind of hard to, like, pin down where the term came from. But from what I gleaned from my quick Google search, it came from, I mean, yeah, kind of what you've already said. Like, child molesters, pedophiles that would 
have like the innocent touches. So like when you think of think of like in nature, right? Like a mother. Let's say like a think of like a mother gorilla, right? And her baby gorilla. They're gonna she's gonna groom her baby. Mm. So she's gonna like take care of her of her baby and like clean her and like, you know, just keep her well groomed. Yeah. So I think that's where the term grooming came from is like interesting. It's a different I don't I feel like it's a weird term for it honestly, but I don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> anyway, I just wanted I just was like You're just curious. curious. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so and why why are we talking about Humboldt County? Well, let me tell you. Yeah, let's see. Um so they have significantly higher rates of neglect and abuse than the entire state. Yeah, their numbers are not not looking good. Uh, <laughs> and back to um, the district attorney, Stacy Eads. She says she's prosecuted too many sexual abuse cases to count, but she estimates the number to be in the hundreds. And of those, not a single one saw a minor groomed or assaulted at a drag show or groomed through an LGBTQ plus advocacy group or community organization. Weird. Hmm. Um, and Eads and other law enforcement officers all said that grooming is a real component of the vast majority of sexual abuse cases, which is what makes the term so charged when baselessly thrown at drag show organizers or just other community groups. And people who do actually groom kids um, frequently take advantage of positions of trust and power. And it oftentimes occurs over the course of several interactions between the perpetrator and the victim. Most cases of child sexual abuse that Stacy has handled involve the offender identifying an opportunity, engaging in manipulation, and seeking access to the child. Okay, and then we have a police chief, Ron Sly, I don't know, <laughs> who also spent 27 years as an officer and... Uh, he also said he's never worked a case involving a minor being abused or groomed through drag events or local pride groups. When he served at the, as the sexual assault investigator earlier in his career, he says the most common cases that he worked were date rape cases and stranger attacks are very rare. Molestation cases involving minors, he said, are usually the same pattern. The perpetrators are known to the child. And he says, I would say that the vast majority of cases involving children are grooming situations. Okay. And then we have investigations commander, Lieutenant Todd Dockweiler. <laughs> Dickweiler. <laughs> nice. Um, he estimated that he's investigated more than 100 sexual abuse cases over his 23 years in law enforcement saying they are, quote, unfortunately some of the most common major crimes investigations. Um, but, like Stacy and what's his name? Ron. Ron. <laughs> he says he's never worked a case involving a minor being abused or groomed at drag events or pride events. By far the most common relationship between perpetrators and victims is familial. So mm. that's interesting. Great. Um, so yeah, when the word grooming is used towards drag performers just know there's no link between these people and organizations and the sexual abuse that's really prevalent unfortunately yeah so at least according to the people who have made bringing sexual predators to justice part of their life's work yeah well and 
I mean, just based off of what you just said, people who are going to take advantage of children aren't going to do it in public settings. They're going to do it in private settings. Mm -hmm. So just like using your own logic, not your own, just like logic. (laughs) Just logic in general. Yeah, just like by using context (laughs) clues and logic in your everyday life. I'm not going to walk into a drag show and just see everyone standing there while a drag queen's grooming a child. Yeah. That's not even in the realm of possibility. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. And I forgot to mention too, that this was from May, 2023. Wow. So, and yeah, these are all within like the last year. Yeah. So if you trust the police, then I guess you should trust what they're saying. (laughs) Sorry. That made me laugh. (laughs) If you trust the police, you should... (laughs) Then you can shut up and listen to what they said, which is that, you know, who are the main perpetrators of of um, grooming and molestation? It's white men. Yeah, we'll get to that. That's yeah. the next one, actually. Perfect. But yeah, it's just so interesting. Like, out of the thousands of cases. um, And this is only three people. Yeah, this is only three people in one county. Um. But they they and they've been working in the field for years, like t- over twenty years. Never seen that. Mm-mm. Interesting. Yeah. What a concept. Okay. So next one is also from May twenty twenty three, and it is called "Rampant Child Sexual Abuse Is Occurring in Churches, Not at Drag Shows." Huh. So let's weird. Let's hear about it. Let's see what happens. So there was a report released in May. Uh, finding that almost, and this was in Illinois, <laughs> that almost 2,000 children suffered sexual abuse by 451 Catholic clergy between 1950 and 2019. Almost 2,000. Um, and the shitty thing about this, too, is they may never be held accountable because these cases can be really hard to... Prosecute. Yeah, to prosecute. Anyway, so in this report adds to the thousands of previously reported incidents of child sexual abuse by clergy in conservative-leaning religious institutions over the past few decades. Interesting. Hmm. Um, And this includes a report from Southern Baptist convention leaders on allegations of widespread sexual abuse within the ultra-conservative denomination. In comparison to all of those, um, there have been no credible reports to the author's knowledge of child sexual abuse at drag shows. And of course, and this is the author speaking, and of course, I'm only making the comparison here because many conservatives, including religious leaders in the Catholic Church and the Southern Baptist Convention, falsely equate drag shows or just LGBTQ plus people in general with sexual perversion. In response, Republican lawmakers are pushing measures that bar minors from attending drag shows. So, you know, a good question to ask is... Is there going to be a widespread push to bar children from churches, given that that's where a lot of these reported sexual abuse incidents are happening? No. Probably not. No. Because there's no way. These men that serve them spiritually, there's no way that they could ever participate in something so against the Lord's teachings. <laughs> you know, whatever. Blah, blah, blah. Whatever. Yeah. Shut Garbage. up. Garbage. Shut up. <laughs> anyway, so, yeah, I mean, the numbers are not lying. No. Um, America's children seem at far more risk in places of worship than they would be at a drag show. Yeah. Or around LGBTQ plus people. Yeah, I would much rather give my... 
if we had a child and we had an emergency and we're like, hey, this random person we don't know, will you watch our kid really quick? Like, let's say there's a fire. <laughs> I don't know. And our options are a clergy member or and a drag, a drag queen. queen. <laughs> drag I'm going to drag queen 1000% of the time. And I'll say, I'm going to call the police on you, clergy member, because you probably have already done something. <laughs> hey, guys, look into this guy. This guy seems sus. <laughs> I'm helping you out. Yeah. Anyway, so now we're going to switch gears and focus on the LDS church. Um, Great. And what they say about this. <laughs> and some early members, too, who might have um, been drag queens. Anyway. Interesting. Yeah. Or just gay in general. Yeah. This article is called LDS Church History on What It Tries to Hide, Drag Queens, Etc. in the ranks. It was posted in March 2022. Before we jump in. Let's see what one of the church's apostles has to say. <laughs> mm-hmm. Dallin H. Oaks is kind of famous for being a bitch. <laughs> yeah, being homophobic and transphobic. So he... And weird looking. <laughs> yeah. He is weird. Yeah. Um, so this was in October 2019 general conference, but he says, God created humans as male and female who are defined by biological sex at birth. Binary creation is essential to the plan of salvation. So, and then he quotes the family, a proclamation to the world, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so I'm not going to go into that a ton. I think we all know that the church isn't really uh, great. (laughs) Yeah, we know the church isn't true. So, yeah, just that's like, that's the rhetoric that the church has about about people. So let's jump in. So apparently some people at the top of the Mormon church didn't get that memo because we've got a few different examples from early church history. First one, and I feel like this one is pretty well known, but Madame Petrini, of yeah. course, um, Brigham Young's son, Brigham Morris Young. And this is coming from a book called The Abominable and Detestable Crime Against Nature, A Revised History of Homosexuality and Mormonism, 1840 to 1980, by Connell O'Donovan. And a lot of this is coming from Connell O'Donovan. So okay. is, his research, is his research and um, Michael Quinn as well. There's a famous picture of Madame Petrini, and that picture was advertising her appearance at a Mormon meeting house in Salt Lake City, Utah. From the 1880s to the early 1900s, Morris appeared frequently in his drag persona all over northern and central Utah. He was often called to perform at stake and ward social functions, where he frequently posed as Madame Petrini, a great female opera singer. Huh. So there's that. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Or that Madame Petrini went around and was... Yeah, I didn't either. Doing like, wards and stuff. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I didn't know that either. And there's an invitation from this time that lists him as manager of a, quote, grand character and dress ball held in the large room of the Brigham City Woolen Factory in 1889, which sounds pretty fucking gay to me. Yeah, sounds fun. Uh, And the Mormon church has never denounced him for this supposed sexual debauchery. So Brigham Morris Young was the 35th son of Brigham Young, and he was the only child born from his, from Brigham Young's wife, Margaret Pierce. The OG wife? I think so. I'm not sure. Maybe. Um, anyway, so he found it, well, no, if he was the thir- the 35th son. Yeah. Hmm. He, that wouldn't be the first wife. Unless he had 30, 
35th son. Hmm. That's weird. I don't know. I don't know what I was trying to say. Okay. Anyway. Also, just think about that. 35? And that's not even all. That's just the sons. Yeah. Disgusting. Anyway. Okay. So something notable about Brigham Morris Young is that he founded the Young Men's Mutual Improvement Association, which is what came before the Young Men's Program in the church. So that's cool. Yeah. He could produce a convincing falsetto, and many in the audience when he performed did not realize that Petrini was Brigham Morris Young. Um, He did marry one wife, Celestia Armetta Snow, who was Lorenzo Snow's daughter, and they had 10 children together. Hmm. So although no direct evidence has been found that he was a homosexual, he definitely crossed Mormon gender barriers um, and did not have any negative repercussions from that. Yeah. So probably because he wasn't gay. Maybe. I mean, because it's again, it's not impossible for a straight person to do drag. Yeah. But I feel like if you're not gay and doing drag, it's like, oh, this is just entertainment. This is just funny. Yeah. Which is not funny that it's, yeah. it's a man dressed up as a woman. Yeah. But if it's a gay, if it's a gay person, that's where it's a problem. Yeah. Okay, but listen to this, because maybe he was gay. Okay, let's hear it. During the early 1870s, he drove a horse-drawn streetcar for a living. And a popular stereotype of the time was that streetcar drivers were effeminate homosexuals. Mm-hmm. Um, and interestingly, he drove the streetcar between the Utah Central Railroad Depot and the Wasatch Municipal Baths, which has been documented as an active cruising area for homosexual men who went there looking for anonymous sexual encounters as early as the 1880s. So, wow. It's possible. Also, this is a such tan like a side note that really barely has anything to do with what you were just saying, but I always want to know why are bathhouses a thing? What does that <laughs> even know. mean? I don't know. What happens in a bathhouse? Can women go to bathhouses? I don't is know. Is it only I feel like I've only ever heard about it for gay men. They're like, "Oh, the bathhouse, you know what happens in the bathhouse?" I don't really know what you're talking oh, about. It's before your time, clearly. Okay, fuck off. <laughs> anyway. Okay, anyway, sorry. It's just random thought. That's good. Anyway, so that's Brigham Morris Young, okay. a.k.a. Madame Petrini. Hell yeah. Next one, and this is an even earlier cross-dressing Mormon, and he was a pioneer. His name's Al Marin Grow, and he lived in Salt Lake and Weber counties during the 1850s. Um, in this case, though, his cross-dressing, um, and I'm just quoting the article here, yeah. was not for entertainment purposes um, like Brigham Morris Young. And it was definitely viewed as uh, transgressive. So it was not good hmm. okay. in the eyes of the church. So he just did it because he wanted to? I think so. Okay. And he has a really weird and interesting story. But sometime after 1857, he became a follower of Joseph Morris, who was a Mormon leader who designated himself as the seventh angel of the apocalypse and taught that the second coming was imminent. So, yeah, he was following Joseph Morris. And he had been excommunicated and rebaptized so many times that Brigham Young had publicly yet humorously suggested that the next time he was rebaptized, in it should be in the Jordan River because he should be drowned immediately thereafter to ensure he be saved while in the faith. So there's that. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, that checks out, honestly. So yeah, there's 
there's Almarin, and there's not like a ton on him, but there's that. Hmm. Okay, next, this is coming from the Gay Life and Times of Mormon Church Patriarch Joseph Fielding Smith. So we have like this whole chronological timeline, whatever. Yeah, so, and there's, I mean, it's mostly just like a sentence, and I don't know where this is coming from, but. Well, it's it's from the research of um, of D. Michael Quinn, so okay, compiled by Connell O'Donovan. So, nineteen twenty six to nineteen twenty nine, Joseph Fielding Smith was in a sexual relationship with Norval Service, who was a student at the University of Utah. So there's that, and this is nineteen twenty seven to nineteen thirty three, and this is coming from Cynthia Blood, according to her University of Utah transcripts. She took speech and drama from Joseph S. Smith. And in August 19th, 1989, she was interviewed and she claimed that everybody on campus knew that Maude Mae Babcock and Joseph F. Smith from the university's drama apartment were both queer, (laughs) but it was pretty much unspoken. Um, She reported that Professor Smith flitted amongst the boys and Maude flitted amongst the girls. We adored it. I guess we were all a little queer back then. When I asked her what she meant by that, she replied, oh, we all had crushes on each other at one time or another. And there were two young men who mooned over each other for several months. And they were drama students. So, gay. 1929, Joseph S. Smith became a member of the general board of the Young Men's Mutual Improvement Association. And that may have prompted the termination of his sexual relationship with Norville Service, who we mentioned before. October 8th, 1942. Joseph Fielding Smith was ordained patriarch to the church by Heber J. Grant, and this dismayed several Mormons who knew that Smith was having sexual relations with other men. Ralph G. Smith reported that Joseph F. Smith was known to be a homosexual. Did F stand for fag? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (coughs) No, this is Joseph Fielding Smith. I can say that, though. No, I know. Because I'm gay. There was the captain of the anti-vice squad at the Salt Lake City Police Department who said, the man's got a record. Um, They have many women call in and complain about him molesting their little boys who are all over 18 um, at at the U. Wow. (laughs) So there's that. So they were engaging in consensual relationships. Yeah. Anyway, um, okay. March 11th, 1943. Sometime prior to this date, Byram Browning had an intimate relationship with Patriarch Smith. Whether overtly sexual or not, it is unknown. Um, but there's that. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, May 27th, 1946. This comes from a diary of Frank Evans, who was the financial secretary to the first presidency. And she was referred to talking with Ruth Pingree Smith regarding, quote, Joseph's illness and insisting that she call on Evans, who was a friend since her childhood, if there was anything he could do to assist her. June 29th, 1946, his diary. Dear diary, I'm gay. Yeah. No, seriously, listen to this. Joseph Fielding Smith's diary referred to the problems he was having of late as a recurrence of his old trouble in his back. Smith's back problems were likely psychosomatically related to the stress surrounding his sexuality. Huh. Yeah. I know. July 11th, 1946. 
the presidency and the twelve met in the church council room and they discussed the condition of patriarch Joseph F. Smith. So this is all just like little tidbits anyway. It's fascinating that there's like evidence mm-hmm. throughout history. Yeah. I am going to make an assumption here. <laughs> so October 3rd, 1946. So Joseph F. Smith, Fielding Smith, wrote a letter to George Albert Smith, who was the president of the church at the time, officially requesting to be released from his position. I wonder why. Anyway, <laughs> but this is what his letter says. Dear President Smith, as you know, I have been very ill for many months. While I am slowly gaining strength and hope soon again to be able to do some work, I do not want, know when, if at all, I shall be able to stand the full drain upon my energy incident to the office of patriarch to the church. Anyway, so he just goes goes on to say whatever, blah, blah, blah. So because of his back problems, mm-hmm. basically, because mm-hmm. he was so stressed that he couldn't be gay. Yeah. Is our assumption. Pretty much, yeah. Okay. December 6th, 1947, while at Honolulu, Apostle George F. Richards noted in his diary that President Woolley, who was the mission president, showed him a first presidency letter instructing that ex-patriarch Joseph Fielding Smith could not function in any church capacity. Capacity? Capacity. Hmm. Because gay? Yeah. Assuming? Assuming. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's there's just a lot of, like, there's a lot of evidence. <laughs> So 1952 to 1954, John Reese, who was a then closeted gay Mormon from Utah, he lived in the Honolulu stake with Joseph Fielding and Ruth Smith, his wife, and befriended them. Um, Ruth eventually revealed to John that her husband had been having homosexual affairs and that is why he had been released. John understood that they had been exiled to Hawaii by church leaders to keep Joseph out of the spotlight of scandal. He was told that one of Joseph's sexual partners was a man named Wallace, Wallace A.G., and he was a close colleague of Smith's in the drama department at the U for several several years, coming from his wife. Huh. According to this, he confessed and for, forsook. Forsook? Forsaken? <laughs> forsook? He confessed, repented of his, quote, sins. And so he had never, back. yeah, he had never been formally disfellowshipped or excommunicated, but he did eventually get callings again. Okay, next one is Joseph Smith. Ooh. The one. The only. Well, so, that's not true. Yeah. So Mormon Temple Ceilings of Men to Other Men. It's the title of oh, this. Oh, Okay. So, in 1954, um, Kimball Young first suggested that Mormon marriage sealing ceremonies included same-sex marriage. For example, Brigham Young preached in 1862, I will here refer to a principle that has not been named by me for years. With the introduction of the priesthood upon the earth was also introduced the sealing of ordinance. Although modern readers would expect to hear next about eternal marriage, Young did not mention marriage or women. Instead, he said, by this power, men will be sealed to men back to Adam. In another sermon, he preached that we can seal women to men without a temple, but not men to men without a temple. Okay, so Kimball Young added that Mormonism had strong homosexual components, but acknowledged most saints, including Brigham himself, would have been shocked by such an er interpretation. Yeah, Joseph Smith, there's some claims that he authorized sealings of Mormon men. 
to Mormon men. Okay, so this is Antonio A. Feliz wrote, I found that Joseph Smith began a practice of sealing men to men during the last two years of his life in Nauvoo in secret. So, but then later on, like, there was a specific one that was a same-sex ordinance. And then Brigham Young later changed it to father-son adoption ordinance. That's interesting. So I don't know. I don't like that. Him either. So I don't know if, like, if there's evidence of, like, Joseph Smith being gay. But he is definitely being sneaky. Yeah. So I'm kind of, like, skimming through. But so I can get to the next part. But. Okay, there is some. So, Joseph Smith and same-sex bed partners. So, apparently he enjoyed, quote, bedtime snuggling with male friends throughout his life. Um, In 1826, the 20-year-old bachelor, he boarded with the Knight family, whose 18-year-old son later wrote, Joseph and I worked together and slept together. For body heat only, obviously. And in a sermon that Joseph gave in 1843, he said that the two... And at this time, he had a lot of wives, but he said that two were very friends indeed should lie down upon the same bed at night locked in each other's embrace, talking of their love and should awake in the morning together. They could immediately renew their conversation of love even while rising from their bed. That's the gayest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. So the night before he was murdered by a mob in 1844, Smith shared a bed with 32-year-old Dan Jones. And, quote, lay himself by my side in a close embrace. Brigham Young even dreamed of sleeping with non-Mormon men as a way of resolving conflict. So he said that he dreamed last night of seeing Governor Alfred Cumming. LOL. LOL. He appeared exceedingly friendly and said to President Young, we must be united. We must act in concert and commenced undressing himself to go to bed with him. Hello? (laughs) Okay. So Brigham Young willingly told people about this homoerotic dream that he had apparently yeah huh, okay yeah and so during this time like this kind of arrangement with the same gender was non-erotic nevertheless <laughs> sure it wasn't. um sure jam the phrase like sure jam the phrase like sleeping with had a sexual meaning for mormons as early as the 1840s yeah so he so joseph smith Encourage same-sex friends to sleep in the same bed at night, locked in each other's embrace, talking of their love. That's pretty fucking gay. Yeah, I don't know how that's not erotic in some nature. Yeah. Anyway, um, another Brigham Young one. I didn't know there was, like, some Brigham Young, like, sprinkled in here. But oh. he dreamed that he met the deceased Joseph Smith and kissed him many times. <laughs> okay. And then a stake president... um. Charles O'Card recorded, I dreamt that President Woodruff and I met and embraced each other and kissed each other in a very affectionate manner, and I remarked he was the sweetest man I ever kissed. It thought in our embrace it was from the pure love of the gospel. Okay, so is that was that saying that that guy had kissed someone else, some other men too? <laughs> <laughs> because he said, I mean, the sweetest man I've ever kissed. I mean, who knows? That's the thing. <laughs> okay. In the autumn of 1838, Smith stayed two weeks with the family of John W. Hess, who wrote, I was a boy then, about 14 years old. Joseph Smith used to take me up on his knee and caress me as he would a little child. As a result, Hess wrote, I became very much attached to him and learned to love him more dearly than any other person I ever met. 
my father and mother know accepted. I don't know what that means. That they were supportive of it? I guess. I don't know. Okay. And then even more profound was the lifelong... Well, even more profound was the lifelong effect of a three-week visit Smith made to the Taylor home in 1842, beginning on the 19th birthday of William Taylor, who was the younger brother of John Taylor. It is impossible for me... And this is William Taylor speaking. It is impossible for me to express my feelings in regard to this period of my life. I have never known the same joy and satisfaction in companionship of any other person, man or woman, that I felt with Joseph Smith, the man who had conversed with the Almighty. And this was... Taylor was 22, and he had four plural marriages after that. That's funny, because I was literally thinking, I was like, I'm pretty sure... I could see there I could see there being a good chance that polygamy was a direct result of homosexual behavior. <laughs> They're like, I couldn't possibly be gay. Yeah. Look how many wives I have. Yeah. Which probably means that Brigham Young was the gayest. Yeah, probably. Because he had so many fucking wives. Yeah, they're just like... That's insane. It's impossible for me. And maybe that's why they liked young brides, because their bodies weren't as developed. <sighs> so they could pretend like it was a man, a boy. Yikes. Sorry. It's okay. Anyway, okay. a Mormon woman described the Mormon prophet's last words to 42-year-old George W. Rosscrans as Smith was traveling to his certain death in Carthage jail in June 1844. Okay. If I never see you again or if I never come back, remember that I love you. Okay. Listen. I don't know. They were all fucking. Yeah. I mean, obviously <laughs> they were. Anyway, so there's, yeah, there's Joseph Smith. <laughs> okay. Okay. So we have one more person to talk about. Um, and that is Evan Stevens, who uh, was born in 1854 and died in 1930. And he was Utah's most prominent musical composer, as well as the conductor of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir from 1890 to 1916. He came across the plains when he was a child with his family from Wales, and he is consistently rumored to have been gay. So D. Michael Quinn, where a lot of this research is coming from, he says, he theorizes, I guess, that Stevens had homosexual relationships and that these were tolerated by the LDS church hierarchy and he never married mm. he was engaged at some point but sh- she died um convenient yeah maybe that's why he got engaged to her because maybe she was sick and he was like perfect maybe I no one know. can say i'm gay yeah seriously i was engaged to a woman who mysteriously died yeah anyway anyway but yeah so stevens had intimate relationships and shared the same bed with a series of male domestic partners and traveling companions but it's also possible that he never actually engaged in homosexual conduct. But just just listen to this. Context okay? is already from what you've already heard. Yeah. Okay, so Evan Stevens used the words chum and boy chum in Ew. 1990. Boy chum? <laughs> yeah. To describe it- his many intimate sex, same-sex relationships with Mormon youths. <laughs> when he was an adult? Um, The Oxford English Dictionary notes that from the 1600s to the mid-1800s, the word chum, which came from the word chambermate, referred specifically to both prisoners and students who share sleeping chambers. So, 
Huh. Hey, Rumi. Could be gay. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, so yeah. And they were roommates. Yeah. <gasps> and they were chum mates. Oh. Shut yeah. up. <laughs> um, so he, because he never married, he filled his life with his two great passions. Quote, love of friendship and music. Hmm. Stephen's friendships always centered on passionate love and desire for each other, usually much younger men. So this could be problematic. Um, Stevens went so far to... he Okay, this part's crazy. He published his very lengthy autobiography, which was written in third person and possibly under a pseudonym, in the Children's Friend magazine in 1919. Why? Which I want to find this because it says it amounts to little more than an explicit account of the development of his desire to bond passionately with other men. Um, in the friend yeah and uh, there was no apparent like repercussions again from the church and there was like no reason he just was like i have no idea i'm gonna publish this i have no idea weird okay um anyway so he wrote that he discovered music through a local all-male ward choir and recounts that he became quote the pet of the choir, the men among whom he sat seemed to take a delight in loving him. Timidly and blushingly, he would be squeezed in between them and kindly arms generally enfolded him much as if he had been a fair sweetheart of the big brawny young men. Oh, how he loved these men. Too timid to be demonstrative in return, he nevertheless enshrined his inmost heart the forms and names of Tuvy, Jardine, Williams, Jones, and Ward. So, John J. Ward, mentioned above, was the same age as Stevens, and the two young men became friends. However, their friendship soon developed into something much more profound, according to the autobiography. So, for example, when everyone in Willard, except for the Ward family, moved to Idaho, 20-year-old Evan uh, refused to go with his family and instead chose to remain with his, quote, chum, John. They eventually built a small cabin and moved into it together. Gay as fuck. Gay. Um, Cabins are gay. Yeah. And in the same autobiography, Stevens calls Ward the first of his life companions with whom he shared his home life. Another possible chum of Stevens is Apollos B. Taylor. Benjamin Taylor was Apollos B. Taylor's father. And Evan Stevens was one of the young men who lived with Benjamin. So Evan and Apollos herded sheep together on the hills for several years. And Evan wrote a song about, like, the mountains and whatever. So, sounds pretty gay to me. Herding sheep. Herding sheep with my chum. Fucking my chum. (laughs) Anyway. He also... Um, pushed Mormon gender boundaries with frequent vocal performances in drag as a woman, usually an old maid is what it says, with a convincing high falsetto. At least two of his drag performances took place in the tabernacle on Temple Square. Huh. So now this is coming from Connell O'Donovan, who, again, has been one of the main people who's compiled all of this research. But so in 1987, he was living with... Layla Rawlinson Trumbo Ethington. Whoa, what a name. <laughs> um, yeah. Who was a granddaughter of an ex-Mormon who was really um, involved in getting Utah its statehood. Anyway, so she lived in Salt Lake City and she was 84 at the time 
And she had been really close friends all her life with a lot of people who were gay. So in the 70s, she opened up her home as a boarding house for several young Mormons, including gay men and one lesbian. And they yeah, were yeah. Ma- mainly members of one family. The she, gay gene. Yeah, exactly. So she had been a member of the Tabernacle Choir um, around 1925, which was after Evan Stevens had retired as its director. But she met him and they became friends. And he told her that he himself was, quote, that way, which were her words, meaning that he was homosexual. Yeah. Um, she told Connell that she often visited his beautiful estate on State Street with its boating pond and beautiful grounds where he held many social events, especially for the young people of the church and choir. When Stevens died in October of 1930, Layla, did I say Layla earlier? Mm-hmm. Okay. Layla disposed of all of his temple clothing except for his temple apron. She kept this because there was a note stuck to it that indicated he had worn that very apron during the dedication of the Salt Lake Temple on April 6th, 1893. Stevens is the one who composed the music to the Hosanna Anthem, which was specifically written for the dedication of the Salt Lake Temple, but I'm pretty sure that's now sung at every dedication of all temples worldwide. So that's kind of a big deal to have the person who composed the Hosanna shout, basically. Yeah. That song um, is gay. And yeah, there's a couple Mormon apologists, George L. Mitten and Rhett S. James, who argue that there's not any evidence about Evan Stevens. And they deny that previous leaders of the church accepted homosexual behavior by Evans or you know, whoever else. Mm -hmm. And they state that the teachings of the current leadership of the church is entirely consistent with the teachings of past leaders and with the scriptures. And they disagree with Michael Quinn's theory that Stevens was involved in intimate relationships or that the article in The Children's Friend was about these relationships. They point to it instead as reflecting normal, youthful respect for older males. They also point out that Stevens' relationship with his great niece, Sarah Daniels, who was also his, his housekeeper, undermines Quinn's claims. That's hard to say. Specifically, Stevens maintained a large number of students as residents in his household to prevent the image of impropriety with his great niece, since he had lived alone with her without any other witnesses around. Hmm. Um, And that would have opened him up to accusations of a scandalous relationship. They state that Stevens is is known only as a strictly moral Christian gentleman. And then Ray Bergman, who was in one of Stevens' youth choirs and personally knew him, also disputes any claims that he was a homosexual. Anyway. God forbid. I thought that was really interesting. And I just want to, like, dig deeper. Hell yeah. <laughs> because for a church that, you know, supports these false claims about gay people and specifically, I mean, we kind of, like, covered two different topics in this episode. But, yeah. um but it's just showing like the hypocrisy mm-hmm. really yeah um because i mean the thing is is drag is a red herring mm-hmm. it really is they're trying they're showing you this fucking redfish over here yeah they're like look at this look at this meanwhile there's like so many other things happening mm-hmm. that have like irrefutable proof of assault done by clergy done by family members done by all these other people that are not drag queens yeah so they're just utilizing they're just fear-mongering 
Yeah. Against LGBTQ plus people. Mm-hmm. And if, um, kind of like I was saying earlier, I, you know, I'm on true crime TikTok, but also <laughs> just we enjoy true crime stuff in our real life. Yeah. Or our real life. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but IRL. And um, <laughs> if you haven't already seen it, the crazy, still to this day, one of the craziest things I've ever seen documentary wise was abducted in plain sight yeah that one was crazy um which is about lds people mm-hmm. in idaho yeah and how they try this person their neighbor who was in a place of trust manipulated both parents mm-hmm. together and separately to be able to abuse their daughter yeah for years and they did nothing for years like no he like literally like kidnapped their child mm-hmm she came back and then he kidnapped her again. Yeah, and he was um he was having sex with the dad. Uh-huh. And the mom. Yeah. Yeah, he was having sex with both of them so that neither of them would tell the other one. Yeah. So that they would trust him more. And that was a means to an end to get to their daughter. Yeah. Crazy. It's insane. So that's on Netflix. So Yeah. But also I was gonna say, like, gay people have always existed. Trans people have always existed. This is not something new. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to k- turn your kids gay. No. And or we're, trans. And we're always going to be here. Like, yeah. yeah. Like you said. We're not going anywhere. LGBTQ plus individuals have been around forever. Because it's not a choice. What's a choice is telling other people that you are gay. Mm-hmm. That's the choice that people have had to make over time. And we've seen so much persecution happen to gay individuals you know, way back then. I mean, even just like what we've talked about in this episode. Yeah. That people were gay, like Joseph Fielding F, which one? Joseph Fielding Smith. <laughs> Joseph Fielding Smith was gay, but he couldn't also serve in church callings if he was actively yeah. being gay. Because of his illness. Yeah, his quote unquote illness. So, I mean, the thing is, is the information has always been there. It's just whether or not you choose to find it, whether or not mm-hmm. you choose to like use your actual brain. <laughs> Jesus. To um, you know, learn more than just the same bullshit that you've just been baby bird fed <laughs> your entire life. Damn. So Yeah. Just saying. <laughs> it's true. And also like there is value in teaching your kids about diversity and other people and identities like that is a good thing it's not a bad thing yeah like so many people think it drives me fucking crazy same so well and we went to salt lake city pride this year um and we went to a drag show that there was it was a you know family friendly drag show Mm -hmm. so they sang like disney songs yeah it was like primarily disney songs and there were a good amount of kids there Mm -hmm. but there was this one family on the front row Literally yeah. wearing their church clothes. Yeah, they came straight from church to this drag show. Yeah, because one of the ch- one of the drag queens asked them, "You guys look like you're going to church," and they're yeah. like, "Yeah, we just came from church to Pride," and their kids were having a fucking ball. Yeah, it was so fun. Yeah, it so it's just show. like, it's yeah, they're just good performers. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, and it's just like entertainment. Yeah, are there adult shows? Yes. Yeah. Are there kids shows? Yes. It's just like 
any other show. Yeah. It's just like, like movies. I don't think I would take my kid to go see fucking, I don't know, what's a scandalous musical or show? I don't know. Something. In- inserts R-rated content here. Like Bridesmaids or like <laughs> The Hangover or something. You wouldn't yeah. take a child to go see that because yeah. at least I haven't seen The Hangover because fuck that. But I know <laughs> in Bridesmaids, like it opens up on a sex scene. Yeah. Like I'm, it's just like any other content. Yeah. That you would choose to let your kid view at yeah. a certain age or not, you know? Mm-hmm. It's just like, it's the same. It doesn't fucking matter. No. It's not fucking grooming. I said fuck a lot. Good. As you should. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just, again, irrefutable proof. Yeah. There's so much evidence out there. And if you're a right-wing bitch. Who's listening and who's not doing their listening. own research. Yeah. Like... Go to go to your own like, you know. We in our house we believe in a cab, <laughs> but maybe in your house you don't. And we, I mean, there's been proof just in this episode that we have found that members of the police force and mm-hmm. local um, attorneys' offices and things like that, like state offices, that what they have seen is family members, clergy members abusing children grooming children not drag queens yeah so or gay people yeah or gay people in general it's not impossible for yeah anyone of any gender sexual sexual orientation race ethnicity etc it's not impossible for anyone to be an abuser however yeah the overall general um bulk of abusers are not from the lgbtq plus community yeah anyway so hope you enjoyed this episode wow yeah that was um it was really informative it is a lot but Um, it was informative yeah and i feel like i want to do like a deep dive and like read those books by michael quinn and connell donovan or whatever his name connell donovan oh yeah i've seen connell donovan like he's done a lot of research and has like a website or something that I've mm-hmm. seen before, but yeah. I haven't like looked into it as much. So yeah, that and would I, be interesting. I've heard of D. Michael Quinn too, because um, I think he's gay too. Good. So anyway, and yeah, he's like the leading historian on all on all this kind of shit or something. But anyway, yeah. it's really interesting and just like there is so much shit that the church doesn't talk about. No, and covers up. It's insane. Like Joseph S. I mean Joseph Fielding Smith <laughs> being supposedly exiled to Hawaii and like resigning from his post because gay because of his back problems <laughs> because he's yeah. so stressed. Oh no! There's like yeah, there's a lot of a lot of little things there that like if you look at the bigger picture mm-hmm. with all those little things spells oh, yeah. out gay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's a history of gay not yeah. just in the world but also in the church <laughs> yeah so anyway anyway well yeah the sources from this episode will be in the description um so if you want to do further research feel free to check those out but thank you maddie for doing all that research it was really interesting to learn about yeah you're welcome it was really interesting yeah okay well Thanks so much for joining us on this episode of the FHE Podcast. As always, follow us on Instagram at FHE Podcast. And like we said at the beginning of the episode, we're going to switch to the every other week format. So every other Monday, 
we are hoping to be putting out episodes on a more consistent schedule long term. So there you go. There you go. Thanks for um, joining. Have a gay week. <laughs> go see a drag show if yeah. you haven't. It's amazing. Go be fruity in whatever way it means to you. So <laughs> anyway. Okay, bye. bye. bye.